Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations with Calvin, We the Species. Uh, and um, I've been talking to Marianne Succo, uh for a while. We've had several conversations and, and we've been talking for a bunch before we even went on air. Uh, and and the, the title uh, of this very special, for me, really very, very special for a myriad of reasons, uh, uh, we're going to be talking about the support group that Marianne helped to found called alzauthors.com. It's Alzheimer's support, uh, and, and the world, uh, of Alzheimer's that so many of us don't know anything about, but we should, and we're going to talk about why we should, because it's becoming an epidemic and, and, uh, there's just so many nuances and there's so much. Uh, there's so much involved, uh, and it really is for all of us. So this becomes um, uh, the title, Mary Amsuko. Uh, um, we're going to be talking about Alzheimer's support and her group, alzauthors.com. She's a nurse. Uh, she's also an Alzheimer daughter, which is an interesting terminology. Uh, she's an author uh, of Blue Hydrangeas. Uh, it's an Alzheimer's love story. And, and it's available on Amazon. I'm just showing you all. Um, and, and it's it's quite an emotional. Uh, so anyway, chronologically, we're at the very, very end of August. And you folks will be seeing this at the beginning of September because we kind of scoot around Labor Day. So anyway, this is so important. By the way, uh, it's so important for those of you who are listening uh, uh, because uh, you know, Marion's in New York. I'm I'm in New Jersey, and and I just found this article uh, a while back ago. New Jersey has the sixth highest rate of Alzheimer's among seniors in the nation. Scary stuff. And mm -hmm. we'll talk about this article and some of the things I pulled out of that. You know, there it is. And and um and I knew Mary and I, Marianne and I were going to be doing this, so I'm kind of hypersensitized to um these kind of things. So. My monologue is done, Marianne. Uh, I'm I'm really thrilled that you've made the time to do this and share your time with us. So, how about a little bit of a bio and a little background, and then we'll kind of jump into some things. Take it away. Oh, thank you so much. It's really great to be on your show, and um, I really enjoyed meeting you. and And your questions are just so profound, and your desire to educate people is terrific because this is really something that most people don't know about unless they have to know about it. So um, I'm Marianne Shuko and I am a registered nurse. I live in upstate New York in Hudson Valley. And I'm originally from Boston, which you may detect. And um, as a nurse, I found myself really fascinated and captivated by people who had dementia. I worked in a nursing home, my very first job, and it was on a dementia ward. and. At first, you know, it was a little scary because I didn't know what to expect from that. But once I got into it, I discovered that I really did um, like these people and they were very interesting and, mo and inspired me in many, many ways. So I decided I wanted to write a book. It was my lifelong dream to be an author. And I tried writing a few things, as, as anybody who's ever tried to write a book will know, is that, you know, you don't always get it on the first try. And I was working on something, but it wasn't gelling. So one day at work, I encountered this couple who um, had Alzheimer's, the wife did. And they just inspired me so much that I had to 
come up with a story where they were the central figures and their whole dilemma became the foundation of my novel, which is called Blue Hydrangeas. You should show the cover. Yeah. And um, what happened with this couple is they were from New York and they were snowbirds. So that meant in the winter, they would go down to Florida. They would drive to Florida. She was 86. Her husband was older. She had Alzheimer's. Her husband did not, but he was very frail. So the two of them managed to come all the way back from Florida to New York without any difficulties. They made it home safely. But once they got home, she fell and she fractured her pelvis and ended up in the rehab unit where I worked. And so that's where I ran into them. And I was um, a fill-in that day. The, I was a case manager and the case manager normally there was out and I took over her caseload for the day and I didn't really have to do anything with these people. So it was kind of like serendipitous that I even encountered them because they were all set with their discharge plan. She was leaving the next day to go to um, another facility for even longer care uh, with her fracture and to get her walking again. But I happened to be by the room and I just popped my head in to introduce myself and to see how things were going. And they just captivated me. She was lovely. She was a very, very pretty woman and pleasantly confused. And she would tell me things and talk to me. And then she would say, oh, I'm so mixed up, which became a line in my book. And her husband was just sitting beside her with a little smile on his face. And he was just very happy. <laughs> they, didn't, they really didn't have any idea what was going on. But their son was there. And he said to me, my parents are leaving here tomorrow and I want to be, I'm going to come and drive them to the facility. <clears throat> I don't want my father to take my mother by himself. I'm going and I'm going to attend to all of the business and there's a lot involved. Is that okay? I said, that's perfect. That's absolutely fine. You can do that. So that was the end of our conversation. And as I left and went on with my day, they just kept, um, in my thoughts, I just kept thinking back to them and remembering how much I enjoyed them in their situation. And I started wondering, well, what would happen if for some reason, the two of them left, they took off on their own without their son, where would they go? What would they do? And so that became my book, which is what happens. The son's supposed to, he's supposed to go with their son and, and he's delayed and off they go and they go on a grand adventure because wow. when they arrive to the place, for the rehab he decides he can't leave her there and so that was written and published well it was written in 2002 to 2004 it took me 18 months by the time i published 2013 i really didn't know anything about being a published author and i ended up self-publishing because i couldn't get anybody interested in a book about alzheimer's which is another story yeah. and anyway i decided that maybe it would be a good idea to partner with other people who had written books like this and see if maybe we could help each other to grow some kind of an audience or to promote our work. So I had reached out to an author I knew um, only peripherally. I knew her online. We had never met. We don't live near each other, but we had read each other's books and we liked them. And I asked her and, and she recommended somebody else. And then I knew two others. So there were five of us. We get together for a one month campaign it was June, 2015. We were going to all promote each other's works. And at the end of the month, we discovered the three of us at the core, we discovered that we really liked each other and we liked what we were doing. It was fun and it was helpful. 
So we thought, well, we'll just keep our partnership going. So we did it again in November that year. The following year in June 2016 is when All's Authors really took off when we decided we're going to do this again, but this time we're going to start a, we're going to start our own blog. And instead of focusing on our books, we're going to invite other authors into the mix and we're going to work and promote their books. So we thought, well, we'll do one, a book a day for uh, Monday to Friday for four weeks of June and then see what happens. Well, we didn't know where we were going to get all these books, but somehow we managed to find them at the end of the month. We had books waiting authors waiting so we said let's keep going we'll do it every week uh, every week not every day book of the week and we'll just see what happens and so that was eight years ago or seven years ago I guess seven years ago and now here we are we have 350 authors we have a podcast we right. do virtual events we have a categorized bookstore for people to browse we have custom caregiver collections we have our own little swag shop if you want to buy a t-shirt or something else. And um, we have people, we're booked now until January of next year. Wow. wow. Mm. It seems like we hit a nerve. There was a wow. need. Question. Yeah. Your, your group, uh, is most of your group self-published? Yeah, a lot of the authors are self-published. I'll tell you why. I'd like to know why. Well, first of all, I told you I had a very hard time getting my book published. Nobody wanted to read a book about Alzheimer's. Oh, no, you know, this was not a good topic. You know, even though it was a beautiful love story and it just happened to be about Alzheimer's, could have been any other disease, but people really, that word scared people. There's a lot of stigma and we can talk about it. Second of all, people who are published mainstream, some of the famous authors out there, I won't name them, but there are many, 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 many. They don't need us because they already have a gigantic juggernaut of a publishing platform to advertise their books. Our books are written by ordinary people. They're not celebrities. They're not movie stars. They're not famous. They got nothing going for them, really, other than the fact that they went on this journey and they were able to write about it in a way that was compelling and meaningful and well done because all of our books are vetted. We go through a very extensive vetting process and quality assurance. Mm -hmm to make sure that they can stand up to anything else that's out there. So these are people who have really done all the work and there's nobody paying attention to them. The same thing, like my partner, Jean Lee, she wrote Alzheimer's Daughter. She was told by a publisher, you have no name or fame to publish the book. So we promote these authors. They have, most of them have never written a book before this, they will not write another one. Some have, but most of them, they are one and done. This is their story and they wanted to share what they learned because people who encounter Alzheimer's in a loved one or even in themselves and are called to care need to know everything that they need to know on the first day and they don't know anything. And now the clock is ticking they're running and they don't have time to stop and learn. And that seems to be the dilemma in, in caregiving is that you just don't, you don't know what you need to know. You don't have time to learn or to figure it out because you're just so busy putting out these little fires every day that are erupting 
in any reason, it could be related to your loved one and their condition, but it could be something else going on in your life, your personal life. Because when you become a caregiver, that takes over your life. So anything else you got going on, your job, your spouse, your kids, school, any of that, your social life takes a back seat. So anything that is, um, anything that arises that's going to be a problem or a stress or a strain is going to be even more powerfully impact because you have this caregiving thing going on. So that's why we, um, we have invited many, many authors, famous authors, big names to join us. And few of them do. We do have a few. We do have some very nice ones. But um, most of them, they don't, they don't need us. And we can't even get past the publicist. Wow. So that's why they're not. That's why we don't have the three, the, the what's it called? 36-hour day. Okay. That's why Still Alice is not in our collection. That's why the notebook is not in our collection. Not We would love to have them. But we work directly with the author. The author has to agree to work with us. They have to put together their own blog post and communicate with the team. And, you know, people don't want to do that. And that's fine. It gives us more time and space right. to take to work with these other authors. And we are inundated with requests to be on this website. Like I said, we're booked down until January. We publish two times a month. That's great. And then, and then we do the podcast in between. And then we got people clamoring to be on the podcast as well. I have to field a lot of inquiries that, you know, we only interview the authors in our organization. You have to be in the organization to get the podcast. And we do like two two podcasts a month. So it's very exclusive. I, I was I mentioned you, I was I was listening to a couple. The last one I was listening to was Cindy Weinstein. There, there's so many aspects of Alzheimer's that that general public has no clue about. Uh, um, and even and so she she wrote uh, about the right words in, in dementia care, even having the right words to describe some of these things. Um, maybe right now, Let's just talk because you're a nurse and let's just talk about the disease. Um, uh, it, it's going to become an epidemic. I mentioned that. Uh, there are some new drugs around. Uh, I've been reading uh, about them. Uh, some of them are scary, even though they got approved. Uh, um, I, I, I don't I, The FDA under tremendous pressure to get something going. Uh, that's a, a little mini question. So maybe, I don't know if they rushed to get this. I forgot what it's called, but it does some pretty nasty side effects. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, they weigh, uh, if it's going to extend things, you know, by 18 months versus some of the side effects it can cause, you know, bleeding in the brain and stuff. Uh, so, um, uh, this is a big question. It covers a multitude of things. Uh, uh, my question, uh, part of this question, uh, is lifestyle. I, I know we don't, we talked about this also, we don't know enough as much as we think we know, we don't know enough. Uh, there's, you know, that I read all these stories about the plaque and about this and, you know, the, the plaque forming, uh, uh. So another part of this question, Marianne, I'm just dumping all this on you. Uh, have a good time with it, you know, kind of thing. Uh, 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 lifestyle. I mean, we. I mentioned this, uh, you know, I've read that flossing 
and and good oral care may prevent uh, Alzheimer's. So exercise, nutrition, socialization, all of these things part of the the big picture. So it's a whole bunch of things. Uh, I'm just throwing it at you. Talk about the disease. <laughs> well, you dumped a lot of stuff on me. Yeah. I did dump a lot of stuff. Uh, I did. Yeah. Uh, it, okay. Well, first of all, I am not a doctor. I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a psychiatrist or any of that. So my experiences as a nurse and as a caregiver and what I've learned through my work through all authors and reading all of these books and working with all of these people. And mainly my focus is on the caregiver. So when we talk about um, uh, the, the medications, there are a number of medications that are available some of them have some of them have proven not to be as effective as people will hope okay alzheimer's and or dementia depending on what kind you have is a terminal disease you will it will cause your death at some point in time it may take decades there is still a lot of time left to live and to live well even if you have dementia and people are doing it. And I can tell you all about that a little later on. People do manage to live well with dementia. It takes a lot of information, knowledge, understanding, and techniques, behavioral techniques and interventions that have to be learned and can be implemented and can make life easier for the people involved. Unfortunately, because so much stigma it revolves around these diagnoses, people uh, are more likely to maybe to just give up at the beginning. You know, people are hoping for a cure. They're hoping there's going to be some magic pill. They come up with pills. The pills have tremendous side effects. In my opinion, it's not a great achievement if you can make it to the end of the Alzheimer's journey. That is never a goal. So if you want to take a chance on a medication to see if it's going to improve your situation or prolong your life or at least prolong um, the amount of time you have of quality time and being able to engage in your world, which is extremely important. It could be like the time, um, time for your family to travel together, do those things you always put off doing. Time to attend a grandchild's wedding or a child's wedding to await the birth of the new baby that we, we just learned about. Stuff like that. Beautiful things in life to help people, you know, to, to get through that time, to let families have those opportunities. That's what people want. You know, they, they want to be able to extend their life, the good parts of it. So take a chance. The, it's like any drug that you take for anything, really, even like aspirin, things like Tylenol, people don't think anything, ibuprofen, they don't think anything when they pop those pills routinely, they also have dangerous side effects as well. So it's a risk. But then, you know, you may, you may gain that time. Um, it may keep your, your person out of a nursing home for weeks, months, or years even, saving you that all of that expense because nursing home care is... And when I had to uh, take care of my parents in nursing home care, where they lived in Massachusetts, it was $12,000 a month. Oh. And people don't have that money. Oh. So, you know, yeah, it, it's outrageous. Um, assisted living can be, you know, several thousand dollars a month. 
depending on where you are. So if you can keep people living at home and managing at home well, then the medications, they might they might be worth the risk. They, now we just went through this massive controversy with this new drug, uh, Laquemby, and it is so, the, the outcome of the drug was iffy. Maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't help. They, I don't think they, they kind of thought that it wasn't really worth it. But people are so desperate for something that they, you know, appealed to the CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and they prevailed in getting these drugs covered the insurances, they don't want to pay it because it was like $25,000 a month for this medicine. So something has to happen where they can reduce that cost. And maybe when they produce volume, it, it would bring down the cost. That's usually how things work. But, um, you know, they had to fight with that. They had to go to court. It was this massive national campaign. And they finally were able to get that approved. I don't know how many people are going to end up using it, what the criteria is going to be. That's probably another battle and what the outcome is going to be that still remains to be unknown. But, you know, we, we know a lot about heart health. So my dad, he passed away suddenly at the age of 45, 1976. I was a teenager and he had heart disease and we didn't know a lot about heart disease back in the seventies. But as you know, through my lifetime, we have come, you know, made monumental leaps in how to identify heart disease, how to you know mitigate it. There are drugs, there are procedures. You can get an artificial heart. You can get a transplant. I mean, it's really come a long way, but we don't know those that about the brain at that level. We just don't. And so they're starting to learn and explore more and more and more. Now that's right. That's great. So we learn how the brain works, but then you have all these other factors that now come into play such as, you know, geography, you know, where you live is going yeah. to make an impact on your overall health status, your access to healthcare, um, pollutants, other things, your occupation, things like that, that can impact your health in many ways, impact your brain health, your lifestyle, um, other comorbidities that you might have, like diabetes, very important, you know, toward brain health, you mentioned about oral hygiene. They're learning more and more how important it is. Everything starts in your mouth. I mean, think about it. It's like one way that we all day long putting stuff in to our bodies through the mouth. So we, um, they had learned that it was very important in, in heart health to maintain good oral hygiene, to brush three times a day, to floss. You know, I, I always think flossing is more, even more important than brushing, really, because stuff gets stuck between your teeth and then it just disintegrates and enters into your 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 whole system. So um, that's very important to do, to do things like that. Your diet, extremely important. We need to go back to like, uh, they call it the paleo diet. Like if they didn't eat it 15,000 years ago, then don't eat it. So keeping your foods very basic, you know, not having a lot of processed food is important. Fresh fruits and vegetables, know where they come from, make sure they're clean. You can do a lot with that. You can make it like the basis of your diet. Cut down on red meat. Red meat is not, is not good. Cut down on meat 
period, whether it's poultry, you know, even fish is, you know, doesn't, you don't always have to have a piece of meat or animal at your meal every day. You can eat meals that don't have that and be satisfied and, and be healthy. Legumes are very good. Beans, things like that. Also very good in your diet. You can use them in a variety of ways. You can make soups and salads. I mean, I, I do all that. It's really good. Cut down on sugar. Sugar is not good for anything. So if you can eliminate a lot of sugar in your diet, then that's going to do you well, you know, all overall and with your brain health. And a friend of mine, Peter Berry, one of our authors, who is an outstanding gentleman living with dementia in England, he was diagnosed, well, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. He always says, if you, what keeps you healthy from here down, keeps you healthy from here up. So whatever you're doing to maintain your heart health, that's your circulation, that's feeding your brain, that's going to keep your brain healthy as well. And then other things, you got to stay active. You have to learn all the time. You need to turn off the TV and do something, whether it's crossword puzzle, read a book, write letters. You know, you can even be on the internet. You can learn through that. You can correspond with people there. You've got to go for a walk go someplace new how many you know people live in an area where there's some kind of a tourist attraction they never visited well go visit it you know see what's going on over there take a little trip spend time with family members socialize engage with your friends and people in person not just virtually or on phone or anything like that you need to be like face to face with people where you can touch them and and, and see their facial expressions all of those things are very important and if you have dementia it's even more important to do those things. Wow. You, mm, you, is that enough? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, um, you said some really interesting things. Um, uh, I, I spoke about it. Uh, um, when I, I reinvented myself mm -hmm. uh, at 65, mm -hmm. that has become a little bit of a niche for me. Uh, and, and when I build my website, I mean, I'm going to plug myself now for my, my novel that's coming out in a few weeks. So there's a tortoise in my hair, uh, journey to spirit, uh, uh, and, and we're building the website to accommodate that, but there's a, a page on the website. And by the way, I got very good reviews. I mentioned to you from Kirkus. They compared me to, to John Irving, who wrote the world according to Garp which may, was made into a movie and starred Robin Williams, who had form of Alzheimer's. So mm -hmm. there's a, a kind of a full circle. But in in my website, and because incorporating what you said, there's a, a whole page for reinventing yourself after turning 60, 65. And, and it's to put these things, the socialization, the nutrition, all these things, blurbs. I'm not going to delve into anything, but... Uh, I'm, I'm maybe I'm a poster boy a little bit uh, in uh, and it's funny I, I I I've been living my life I I I I one of the things I didn't want to get is dementia uh, Alzheimer's and so uh, I've read enough learned enough so I've been living my life doing a lot of things you said uh, I haven't eaten red meat I don't know if I ever told you this I haven't eaten red meat since 1975. Wow. Nothing with four legs since 1975. I, uh, I'm not perfect. I do some chicken and poultry and fish, 
I I just as soon eliminate that, but um, I'm pointing to my wife out there in the kitchen. It won't fly. Uh, you know, uh, that won't fly. So there was a compromise. I made a compromise in 1975. I just won't do anything with four legs. By the way, the byproduct of that, uh, and and maybe there is no answer, but the byproduct of that is I'm walking around with zero coronary artery plaque at mm. this advanced age, which means that the blood flow to this thing up here is unimpeded. There's there's no hardening of the arteries. So this up here is getting nourished with a good amount of blood supply as, as the heart is as well. But it's lifestyle. It's what you said. It's lifestyle. It's paying attention. It's socialization. It's the whole it's the whole um it's the whole package we we uh, we had this on the agenda we took it off but uh, i'm i'm just i i read and learn and and so much about uh ai just a quick little okay. answer uh uh ai may offer some hope down the road in this journey uh through alzheimer's and maybe giving us some tools do you think that might help Um, it can help. Okay. I think, you know, I don't know that what's been developed, if anything has even been developed yet to help right. with that. It might right. help people like with screening tools. Okay. You know, um, for instance, we have a tool that we use. I work at a college in the health center and we had this tool that we subscribe to for mental health screening. And a student could go to that website and it asked a series of questions. And depending upon the answers, they would give you you know, uh, advice on what you should need to do, or, you know, maybe you don't need to do anything at all. So AI could work in a way like that, where people would be able to check, do the check boxes of concerns, things that, you know, are common okay. with people who have dementia. And maybe the, the bot would read that and would then let that person know, you know, you need to see your doctor immediately, you know, or no, this is what is described here is, is normal aging. Maybe, I mean, come up okay. with a variety of responses. So that would help people who maybe have concerns and don't know what to do next. Okay. To do a screening like that. Okay. I just... What about... Well, I mean, as far as research and stuff goes, you know, there's probably a lot that it could do, but, you know, it, you never, you can never remove the human factor. Right. Especially something like this. Correct. No, I, I just... It, it's become my little core celeb. Uh, as I go through these these interviews and and everybody's walk of different walk of life, I I, I ask about AI. I'm just curious. Uh, I'm I'm a little nervous about it, but but I just yeah. wanted your take on that. Uh, I want to go completely off topic and ask you one of my favorite questions. Um, I didn't even tell you about it. It's no big deal. <laughs> I, I actually borrowed it, uh, and I never said this on air before, but I, I borrowed this question from Barbara Walters. Who okay. Was, who was a great hero of mine as one of the great journalists of all time. So here's the question. You don't even have to answer it, but it, it's fun. So um, excluding family or friends, somebody living or dead you'd like to spend a day with. Oh boy. And you don't, it, it could, it doesn't have to be one. It could be a few, whatever. There's no rules here. So the first person that popped into my mind was Jane Austen because I love her. She's like, you know, the first great woman novelist, romance writer. Okay. So I have all of her books and I've read and reread and watched all the movies. 
and hope to get to her home where she lived in England one of these days, one of these trips. But um, I would love to sit, be able to sit with her and talk to her. I would love to be able to tell her what she achieved because she had, she had no idea. That's great. Great answer. Mm. That's great. Okay. Back to work. Um, you mentioned, uh, uh, you mentioned a, a number of things just to kind of reiterate uh, what people can find at alsauthors.com. Again, mm. there, uh, I was looking through the blog, looking through everything you have. It, it's quite an amazing resource for people just to reiterate uh, what people can find there. Um, uh, it, it's it, it's like an endless. I mean the uh, uh, you know the blogs, the 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 podcasts, uh, the information. Uh, so I, again, I encourage people. Uh, you know, even you know, even civilians to go check that out because it's it's a wonderful world of support that you put together. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. We have worked really hard to do that. We started as just three of us, and now there are, I think, nine people on our management team. Everybody's a volunteer. Nobody gets paid um, from the management team when we rely solely on donations and there are some fees attached to, to do different things with us, but mainly it's donation based to help us pay our expenses, which mainly is for the website. Cause as you know, websites are very expensive. And when you yeah. add new content, that's very um, image heavy to, to the website. It, it costs more money every, every month because yeah. you know, um, we do the four blog posts a month and there's a lot. So, um, we had no plan when we came up with this idea. It was just let's see, kind of a like, well, let's do this and see what happens. And, you know, just as things just progressed, because we kept getting more and more books. So we had to find a way, how are we going to organize them so people can find what they're looking for quickly? Because they don't know what they're looking for. It's it's a book, it's the author, it's the topic. And, you know, there's a search tool. So you can look up books about like caring for your mother and you'll find them that way. But we came up with a bookstore where you can browse cover categorized by the situation so like there's a category just for caring for your for your mom so if that's your situation you don't need to look at the books about caring for your husband because it doesn't apply to you there are children's books we have poetry art books photography books caregiver guides memoir nonfiction, fiction just about everything blogs wow. podcasts we even have some films if people want to like absorb information that way the entry level for people, I think, who may not, you know, may not have encountered the situation but are curious is to look at either the fiction, because it kind of is a gentle way to enter the world, or leave in a memoir. Although some of the memoirs can be pretty heavy, and people yeah. have, you know, encountered a lot of really serious, serious topics in there. Um, caring for a parent who abused you. Many, many books on that topic. People wow. who chose. Yes, wow. chose the role of caregiver, even though their parent had been negligent wow. or abusive in the past. Parents they hadn't spoken to in years. Um, parent people with two parents at the same time. I call it the double whammy. Wow, it's hard enough when you have one parent because wow. most cases you'll have the second parent is also the, a caregiver, so you're a team. Wow. But then when it's two parents and you, they're the team. And so it's very hard to like break through whatever resistance and issues that, that they're kind of throwing at you because wow. it's like the two of them against the world, people, are, it's, you know, there are um, 
nine of us on our team and three of us have been in that dual dementia duty situation. Wow. Which is amazing when you think about it. We're only nine people. One third of us have had the two parent situation. It's a full time, by the way, it's a it's it's like a full time it's a full time job. It's it's oh it can be for oh, sure yeah my goodness it's, yeah I'll tell you I'll, I'll tell you a story when I was doing case management I had this man he was very very sweet and lovely and he didn't even have dementia but he had a lot of other problems which meant he couldn't be left alone so his daughter was um, a nurse and her and her partner was a social worker so these are people in the know more than anybody else. They're going to be in the know. And they wanted to bring him home to stay with them. So, okay, I set it all up. And then at the last meeting, I said, which one of you is going to stay home with him? And they looked at each other and they were like completely dumbfounded. And I said, well, you know, he needs 24-7 care, supervision. And they said, we know, but we haven't thought about that, what that would mean. Wow. That means somebody has to stay home. Somebody has to like not go to work. So he went home. I think it was a Thursday. He went home with them. And then on Monday, I go into work. He's back. And he said, they can't do this. And I don't want them to. So please find me, find someplace else for me to go. And I was like, you know, they the fact that they didn't understand it. And they were both people who were in the field and you know, presumably would know what it was entailed, but they didn't understand it. It is, it's a 24 seven, you know, even if you don't live with your loved one, like when I was in, I was responsible for my mother and her husband, my mother's husband had dementia. She did not, but she had a lot of medical issues and I lived 250 miles away. So I wasn't physically present in the home all the time, but I was constantly being inundated with text messages and emails and calls and things related to them all the time woken up at night interrupted at work had to pick up had to find out what was going on all you know like i say putting out little fires all the time mm-hmm. financial issues medical issues legal issues social i mean it was just it's mind-boggling basically what you're doing is you're taking over another person's life all its little intricacies is like as far as even feeding them and toileting them incomprehensible yeah and then you still have your own life incomprehensible wow Mm -hmm. um in my quote research um you um did a great uh youtube panel four daughters Mm -hmm. explore when the dad has dementia but most importantly for me, because I was a big fan of Patty Davis, mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan's daughter. And a lot of people don't know that. And, and a lot of people don't even remember. But of course, they people know that Reagan uh, had dementia. But Patty Davis, who was a bit, who was, uh, and by the way, this, this kind of highlights what you said. She was a bit, um, uh, alienated from her father and, and uh, stepmother uh, uh, because she was kind of a renegade but she got involved ultimately was brought back into the fold to take care so can you talk about that that's a phenomenal panel that you did um, can you talk about that sure so patty um, 
has been a very generous author contributor to all's authors and she's one of our more well-known authors and has done a lot of work in this area her father he had alzheimer's president reagan um nancy reagan was her mother oh i i didn't realize that yeah nancy um oh. reagan her name was nancy davis okay she was an actress yeah and she okay. married ronald reagan you know okay. and and i'm thinking of jane her biological mother no she's oh. her biological mother and so they had um and probably very common in families like that where there's just this con constant tug of war and friction and things like that. But when her father became ill, she, you know, was informed and responded immediately and, and, and spent time with him and was present for his journey and uh, managed to get along with her mother enough to, for her to do that. So her book is beautiful. It's called Floating in the Deep End. She was on the piano and I'm trying to think back to who all the others were. It was Irene Olson, who was the author of Requiem for the Status Quo. And I should have looked this up before because I can't recall all the others. There's, There's quite a panel. I think there were four nine. of them. Yeah. There's four of them, I believe. There's Maybe Patty, there were more. I'm trying to remember. Irene. Um, goodness. I'm, I'm drawing a complete blank because right now I'm like really focused on that's okay we're doing on Friday we have another one coming up this Friday which I want to talk about but um I'm trying to think of the graphic Tanya Ward Goodman and it's probably one of my partners did you find the page I'm uh, to find, uh, I, I, I can't find the author's oh, website and uh, or YouTube. But anyway, uh, I'll, I'll figure it out. I, anyway. I, I have the link so that people can. Um, yeah, and it's on our YouTube channel, so you can watch it. And it's on our podcast, so you can hear it okay. if you want to do that. Too. Okay. We can put that in the show notes. But anyway, um, and, you know, we've, we've done other panels as well. But in this particular one, it was for Father's Day, and we talked about when dad has dementia and all of the different situations that come up with that because a in many families the father he's the authority figure everybody looks up to him he's the guy and he's the epitome of strength you know you most children believe that growing up and then to watch him endure the indignities associated with dementia is devastating and there's also a lot of issues if you are to be a hand hands-on caregiver for your dad, where you are called upon to do um, intimate tasks and things like that for somebody who it's like a taboo and people have to deal with that. We talked about stuff like that. So that was a very enlightening panel. It's actually one of our like top three podcasts on allsauthors.com okay. that people tune into. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like really sorry that I can't think of who the last author was, but I'm gonna know. I'm gonna figure it out before we finish this. Okay. Yeah, we've done several other of those, and the first one we did was called "When What You What Everything You Wanted to Know About Living Living with Dementia, but We're Afraid to Ask." And we had five authors come on, three from England, two from the United States, who had all been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and we had a very inspiring discussion on how to live well with these conditions. And now Friday, September 1st, 2023, we are bringing these people back together again 
to continue the discussion oh, wow. and to find out two years later how wow. you doing, what's wow. happened in the last two years. That's great. That's yeah, really, and yeah. Now this is going to be recorded. It's going to be on our website and on our YouTube channel. So by the time people hear this program, it'll it may be up by that time yeah. in about a week or so. Okay. So they can tune into that. They can tune into the previous one from July 2021. And they can also watch um, one we did called uh, Love Stories, Keeping, Rom Keeping Romance Alive in Dementia Care. And that's about caring for, uh, all caring for a spouse, people who were trying to, you know, there's like this reversal of roles in when you're caring for your parent, like they call it parenting your parent or being your mother's mother. But when it's your spouse, it's a completely different dynamic and the loss is is really different in profile because the person is losing their husband or wife, their partner in life, the one that they turn to with their problems, the person who they have, you know, do enjoy things with, who is there to help them. All of that is just disappearing. And they've also lost their lover. You know, they, they may um, lose their sex life, which is very important to many people. People are diagnosed with Alzheimer's as young as 39, 40 years old. So uh, if you're raising children, you no longer have your partner for your children. Uh, wow. So it's like a completely different dynamic from when it's a parent or even a grandparent. So we brought together these authors and they talked about how they maintain what we call that little spark that you have that is what really brought you together as a couple in ways and in, in to try to maintain that. And, you know, not only to provide that to, to the loved one, but for you to maybe get something back out of it, you know, and it gets really, really hard at the end. I know that. So we did that one. We did one called Poetry for the Dementia Journey. We had 34 poets, I think, who attended. And it was two hours and read their right. poetry. I mean, and it was stuff that was like top-notch caliber stuff to things that were very simple and basic and beautiful. And I highly recommend people tune into that. They will hear a lot of very um, poignant stuff. Very right. good. Very good stuff. And we did um, another one called Dementia with Difficult People. And when we launched it, there was like this uproar because people with dementia were thinking that we, we were referring to them as difficult, but that wasn't what it was. It was, again, about caring for somebody who in the past has been a difficult person in your life, not because they have dementia. They were just like that. And now we have dementia. So for instance, um, one of the women, uh, several of the women had went up, to, went to take care of their mothers, although their mothers had been abusive or their mothers had abandoned them. And it's now years later, you know, having to get over all the inner turmoil and angst to step up to that role of caregiver and be there. So like one woman, she did it for her dad because he was the caregiver and he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it by himself. And so she didn't have a, you know, she had a loving relationship with him. So she stepped up to help. So um, that is another very good one that we did. And I think that might be it. But we have another one coming out in November of this year, which is going to be on dementia and the arts. And it's going to be how people use art and music and things like that in dementia care that has methods to communicate with people. Hmm. We're busy. 
Yeah, you you really are busy. Uh, off topic, sort mm -hmm. of sort of a, a, a parallel. Uh, completely off topic. I always love to ask this question. It's one of my favorite mm -hmm. questions. Um, and we can also tie into. Any, uh, well, here's the question: uh, uh, favorite movies, actors. I mean, really off topic, but there's a tie-in. But go ahead. Yeah. Um, mm, trying to think that I have I have a few people I never like and never miss. Well, lately, if if you want to talk about like a heartthrobby kind of an actor, I really like Ryan Gosling. Now he starred in he was the character in the Notebook. Yeah. Which is an right. Alzheimer's novel. That that's was like one right. of his first movies. And La La Land, he was very good in that. He's a good dancer. But he was just in the Barbie movie. So that's the most recent movie I saw at the movies. Okay. And I really, I enjoy him. I do enjoy him a lot. And um, I watched a movie just the other night that I liked a lot called The Wife. And it starred Glenn Close. And it was about a woman. In, in, um, and there's an elderly couple. Uh, her husband receives the Nobel Prize for Literature. And I'll, I'm going to give a spoiler. As the story evolves, what we learn is that he didn't write the books. She did. But because they were, they came together back like in the 50s, 60s, women weren't really, you know, considered to be able, capable of writing great literature. He, he uh, would write and, and it wasn't up to par and she was the better writer and she would fix it. And she ended up being like putting more into it than he did. But because he was the male, he got all the accolade, all the fame. So that was a really good movie. And, and I loved um, what I loved about it is it showed like all these different depths in marriage. Like when there's a scene when they they're having this vicious argument, she's going to leave him. And the phone rings and it's their daughter letting them know that she just had her baby in the way that they interact with each other after that, because that's like what really is what it's all about is in their, that what they share in their life. Like they have these momentous things that in a marriage that couples share and then it just completely, you know, overrode whatever argument that they were having that didn't mean anything anymore. And it was cool. That happened like several times. So I really like that movie. And like, I never turn off. If I turn, flip through the channels and I see Shawshank Redemption, I have to sit for a while. And okay. And watch that because that's a great flick. I love the, I love uh, Zewantanea. I love when they get reunited uh, at the end. Um, he's walking on a beach. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim Robbins. Uh, um, and, and that it was just, and, and the, the emotion of when he finally breaks out of Shawshank, um, uh, the emotion that he's free, yeah. uh, and and you just you know it's raining and, and you you just you could feel that emotion. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fabulous uh, it's a fabulous movie. It is. Yep, fabulous movie. Yeah, I've watched it enough times. Um, it's funny that I, I there was a I was watching a, a political show. I don't watch politics. I don't mess around with politics. But a former, I guess he was the former governor. I was just why it was uh, beat the press. Um, uh, uh, former governor of uh, North Carolina. I forgot his name, but he is a spitting image. 
for the warden, Bob Gunton. Oh, hmm. And, and, I, and it was Sunday morning. I'm watching this and I say, my God, he's a spitting image. He could be his, he could be his clone. God, does he look like Bob Gunton, who always plays these, he's, what a great character actor. I mean, this, this is off topic. Anyway, back to, yeah. back to business. Uh, as we wind down, um, we talked about this beforehand. Maybe I mentioned this in my monologue, but New Jersey has the sixth highest rate of Alzheimer's among seniors in the nation. Um, uh, and, and, and we, I mentioned this to you in the Northeast and the Southeast, uh, have the highest uh, incidence. And, and, um, uh, my question to you when we off air was, uh, is it part of that? You know, here's that, the article that I, I pinned out, but part of that, isn't that due to the fact that you get better care? here in the Northeast and the Southeast. For example, I know someone uh, in my sphere of influence uh, who sent a loved one down to Florida for care because they have great care there. So as part of that, the fact that we uh, here have better facilities, better caring, that people may want to come here if they're out in Iowa, and they may want to come here. Uh, does that happen? That people... No, what, what I think happens is, well, some of these states are the more populous, A, B. We do have access to the best medical um, facilities and research facilities probably in the country or the world. People are, who are better educated uh, might know what to look for. And some, it, a lot of things are based upon geography, like access to healthcare is huge. If you don't have insurance, then that's like another problem. You're not probably going to be um, going to get diagnosed or, or get answers until you, you a crisis hits. Um, you may live in a rural area where there is no healthcare for hundreds of miles around, so you're not going to go. Many people believe that um, dementia and Alzheimer's are normal parts of aging. And it's to be expected. So there's nothing you can do about it. So we just won't do anything about it. And then they don't ever get a diagnosis, which is, you know, not true. It's not a normal part of aging. It's a good idea to have a diagnosis because there are treatments available. You can learn how to handle it better. You can make it better for everybody involved when you understand what's going on and what to do about it. And um, it can help help you by um, making life plans, which I had a discussion the other day with a colleague about this. You know, oh, I would never want to know if I had Alzheimer's. You know, what good would that do? I'm like, well, it does a lot of good because now you know if you're 61, I better retire because I'm not going to be able to work for another five or 10 years and have a good retirement. I need to do it now. I need to get all my ducks in a row. I need to figure out my living situation. I need to make sure my will and my and my power of attorney and my healthcare wishes are in place. I mean, there's a lot to do. You know, maybe I'll go to take that lifelong dream trip to Maui or to Alaska and go on a cruise. Maybe I'll do that this year and not wait because I might never get there. Important, you know, all lifestyle yeah. things, yeah. quality of life issues that are so important. So um, I think that, People, they don't have the access to the healthcare um, that we enjoy here. I mean, look where we are. I'm in New York. You're in New Jersey. I come from Boston. I mean, these are like some of the best facilities in the world. A lot of others, you know, scattered across the country, but people, 
either don't have access or they don't see the need. A lot of people uh, don't want to know. A lot of doctors don't want to say. People do not like to put those words in the medical record because then they have different kinds of ramifications that could make life very hard for people. Um, people don't want to know because they don't want to have to give up their job. In many, many cases, if you are diagnosed with dementia, you're going to become unemployable and maybe your family is depending on that income. That's huge. Um, so there's like a lot of different reasons to stigma so much stigma yeah. surrounding else. That's why, you know, this program we're doing with the authors living with dementia is just so profound because you can just see people. I'll give you an example of a few of them. When we talked the first time, one of them had published a book. She now has three books. She earned two doctorates from two different universities in um, England for her work, her advocacy work. She is like the poster girl for Alzheimer's. Another man, he um, was on the verge of suicide after his diagnosis for a year, he fell into a deep depression. And then one day he realized I'm not dead yet. So I need to start living. And he just recently had his second book published, travels all over England, wow. advocating. Um, there's um, all of them have moved except for one. One person in that group still lives in the same home that he bought with his wife, you know, years ago. But all the others have made like um, changes in their living arrangement to accommodate their illness. So that's really important because that helps in the whole caregiving scheme of things. You know, if people become immobile, you know, you can't have your bedroom bathroom upstairs when people becoming unable to climb stairs. And people don't think about stuff like that. So no. there's a lot, a lot of things to do. It's, it's. I believe it's, especially if you have a family history, you can get tested for the gene. It's good to know. It's not, yeah. it's scary. Yeah. But it's helpful. I wrote about that in, in, in my book here. Uh, I wrote about um, what Robin Williams did uh that moved me because he was one of my favorite people um and, and and actually kind of winding down you wrote um blue hydrangeas on loves which uh an alzheimer's love story but you've also um you've also written some other things uh you've done some uh, young adult um work yeah i did i wrote a young adult book which sitting here my favorite book, actually, that I wrote. <laughs> oh, can you see it? Uh, uh, no. There uh, we go. Swim season. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's like a door, a door. What do you call it? Door stock. Yeah. It's almost six hundred pages. Wow. Anyway, I um, my daughter was a swimmer. She started swimming when she was a baby. I started her in the pool, getting swim lessons. Week after week, year after year, eventually she ended up on a competition team at, in grade in sixth grade. And then in high school, she was able to join the high school swim team in seventh grade. So she swam for six years at high school. And then she went on to swim another four years in college. So we spent like 11 years in competitive swimming. So I would sit there on those on that cold hard metal bench week after week watching her swim and as while I did I started the story like brewing in my brain 
I wanted to write a book about these girls and the dedication that they bring to it and how much fun it was. And so I started to write the book Swim Season and it follows the entire uh, swim season of these girls in their senior year. It follows the school calendar. So you got everything else that goes on in the fall semester taking place like homecoming and football games and and um, there's a dance and there's championships and there's all of all of that. It's very exciting. There's a lot of drama, teenage drama, and there's a little bit of a love interest and a massive competition. So the new girl in school, who is our heroine, she's the new girl on the team. She's in her third high school. It's her senior year. And she is destined to go to the Olympics. But her family is in turmoil. And she's got so many personal issues. She just decided she wasn't going to swim to win anymore. She just wanted to swim because it was her therapy. So she's not going to try to, in this new school, not going to try to do anything great and just graduate. And so when she gets there, she discovers that there's um, this challenge from a former team member, years, years old, break her record. She'll give you a $50,000 scholarship break her record in the 500 freestyle, which is this girl's race. And there's a, a team who's going to do that, who will do that this year. And the competition starts between the new girl on the team and the favored girl, popular girl in school, both vying to break this record. And it's so much fun. I love the book. It's my favorite book, even though it didn't achieve nearly half of what uh -huh. um, Blue Hydrangeas did. And there is a sequel to Blue Hydrangeas. Actually, it's called a prequel. It's called Christmas at Blue Hydrangeas. And it takes place uh, in years prior to the Alzheimer's diagnosis. But people had written to me that, because Blue Hydrangeas is a bed and breakfast on Cape Cod. Oh, wow. And wow. Yeah. So that's why it's, that's the name of their inn. They're innkeepers, this couple. Oh, so wow. people would say they wanted to hear more about the inn. So I wrote them a Christmas book. And now I'm writing a book called A Wedding at Blue Hydrangeas. Wow, that's great. Mm. That's great. You know, you, you're talking about um, swim season, and and um, I follow to an extent women's swimming, and 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 one of my favorite athletes is Katie Ledecky. Mm -hmm. What an amazing swimmer! I you know I think of Michael Phelps, and then mm -hmm. I think of Katie Ledecky. Uh, um, yeah. So, you know, writing a book about swim season for me is, is very valid. Yeah, well, so, she, I thought, as an aside, my daughter had swum at Rutgers many times because she had oh, wow. championships. Yeah. Wow. That's so we've been, we've been there. It's a beautiful facility. And we yeah, spent it is. Many, many weekends in Brunswick, New Jersey. Yep. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. And, of course, I wear my Rutgers. I know. I wear my Rutgers hat. Uh, um, so... Uh, uh, quoting a line from the godfather we did good yeah did good uh this has been great uh uh it, it's so eye-opening and it, it, it's such a it's such a chord to to create awareness because it's it's becoming more and more a part of all our worlds because we're all you know we're all one species and we've got to deal with this and the work that you've done with Al's authors and and, and 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 you know, I go to that site and just to learn. It's a part of a learning experience. Uh and I'm grateful that I don't have to quote deal with it, but you do deal with it because it's part of your world. So um this was great. 
Marianne, uh, uh, and I'm officially inviting you to come back. We could do, as this channel grows, we could do panels and how, and, and uh, I'd like to be part of your team. So however I can help promote uh, and, and do some events and things, uh, uh, I'm usually loyal that way. So please do come back. All right. Yeah, we'll put something together. Yep. Please do come back. So I'm going to stop the recording again. Thank you so much for being gracious. And, and really, thank you for what you do with Al's authors. So needed. Um, really. Uh, um, so thank you so much. Uh, stay right there. I'm going to stop recording. And um, okay. again, thank you so much.